Hi, everyone, and welcome to season four of the podcast. I'm super excited to be back and to announce that the podcast will now be called the Holistic Pharmacy Podcast to better reflect the subject matter. The first few episodes were recorded before the rebranding, so I still refer to it by its old raw fork name in those. Anyway, I had no idea when I started this podcast that it would evolve to this format, but I did know that I wanted to share people's stories. It has evolved from me reading my blog post out loud to interviewing non-traditional pharmacists, including herbalists. Season 4 will air every Friday, highlighting inspirational pharmacists that chose to fit out of the proverbial box and are working to build a new system of care focusing on natural and preventative medicine. Please enjoy the show. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Holistic Pharmacy Show. Today I'd love to share just a couple of little public service announcements and offerings. First of all, I'm launching a six-month live online program to help you build a holistic herbal medicine practice. And second of all, I'm hosting a once-in-a-lifetime immersive plant medicine experience in Costa Rica this June. See my website for details or email me at marina at rawfork.com. Today, I had the pleasure to chat with Dr. Christine Reynolds, yet another team member at Farm to Table Functional Medicine Telehealth Platform. Christine received her Doctor of Pharmacy degree from Ohio Northern University and is board certified pharmacotherapy specialist with functional whole person approach to medicine. Pursuant to residency training at Methodist Hospital, she served as a clinical pharmacy specialist at Stanford Healthcare and Northwestern Memorial Hospital. Dr. Christine presently practices as a functional medicine pharmacist with Farm to Table and creates a holistic healing experience for anyone looking to improve their health and their life. She believes that every person has the power to take control of their health and is passionate about getting to the root cause of disease with preventative and restorative lifestyle and nutrition therapies. Her professional expertise includes digestion and gut health, thyroid function, stress and sex hormone imbalances, and medication-induced nutrient deficiencies. So without further ado, let's welcome Dr. Christine to the show. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Holistic Pharmacist podcast. I'm so excited to have with me this morning, Dr. Christine Reynolds. She's a functional medicine pharmacist based in Chicago at the moment. And uh, I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be on your podcast. Very excited. Yes, it's also great because we're in the same team of Farm to Table Functional Medicine Platform. So it's always nice to get to know your teammates. And as we're building and growing together, I've interviewed a couple of more members in the past. So you can go ahead. I'll link to those episodes in the show notes. But right now, let's get in with Dr. Christine. So uh, the first question I really like to ask is where you grew up and how you got into pharmacy in the first place. Sure, sure. So um, I grew up in uh, Lorraine, Ohio, which is just west of Cleveland. Um, And I attended Ohio Northern University for my doctorate of pharmacy. Um, I think that what drew me originally to pharmacy is the, the 
well, I've always loved science and math and helping people and just really like healing that and the human connection. Um, and so I was drawn into, you know, the pharmacy aspect would be helping people heal, but I, I've always loved more of that botanical herbal side. Um, but you know, you have to go through, go through all of your training as well. So, um, I pursued after I graduated from Ohio Northern university, um, I pursued my postgraduate training at Methodist hospital in, um, San Antonio, Texas, where I then, um, decided to specialize in emergency medicine at that time. Cool. Amazing. So what did you like the most about going through pharmacy school and what made you decide to get a residency and especially specialize in emergency medicine? Yeah. So I feel like I was one of those people in pharmacy school that was like a little late to the party, realizing that I wasn't this huge proponent of uh, pill pushing. <laughs> um, I was probably like in my fifth or sixth year of pharmacy school when I had that realization. So I decided, okay, you know, I'm, I'm about to graduate and pursue more of a, a clinical pathway. What, how can I use this skill set to still truly help people um, in the most ethical and in the best capacity that I see, saw fit? Um, so at that time I, um, decided, well, emergency medicine was a good intersect for me because I can't, you know, when someone's coming into the emergency department with a life threatening injury, I wasn't going to ask someone to eat more kale or meditate, or let me check your, you know, your GI function, um, all those things you do in functional medicine. So it was, it was really a good compromise for me to apply the not the pharmaceutical knowledge and to help patients in the best capacity um, that I could. And, you know, I still am very grateful for that experience. Um, I think we should all be grateful to like to have access to these like state-of-the-art medical technologies and life-saving procedures and, and medications for that, for those acute, you know, life-threatening illnesses. Absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree there. So it's a really great tool for us to have when it is an emergency situation. But with chronic illness, a lot of times there are alternative ways that are maybe less invasive, less costly, and more on the preventative side that we are just underutilizing. Yeah, 100%. Very true. And I think that's really kind of what um, got me to pursue more of the alternative, if you will, pathways. Um, I was in probably my fifth or seventh year practicing in emergency medicine. And like, I started noticing this, this pattern where the majority of the patients that walked through the ED, like they did just that they were, they were ambulatory, you know, they weren't coming in with these life threatening illnesses. Um, and they were really there for management of symptoms associated with these chronic diseases. And, you know, it's to no fault of like our amazing physicians, um, but like, we're really just not set up to handle the complications and symptom management of, of chronic medical conditions in the emergency department. So, so that's really, I think, where I decided to, to change my, my clinical focus and see how I could, you know, better utilize my, um, my knowledge and try to help patients from that chronic standpoint. So, um, which is great. So I feel like I, I straddle both lines. I, I have 
one foot still in emergency medicine, helping with that, you know, acute life-threatening illnesses. And then I have the other helping those chronic disease state patients and hopefully reducing the amount of patients that we see in our ED for, for those symptoms. So yeah, yeah. it's very rewarding. Yeah, absolutely. I even had to, as a child, go into the emergency room once for, I mean, I guess it was a severe thing because it was like an, a severe ear infection. Uh, but it's like if I had gone in earlier and like found a doctor in the area, you know, when symptoms just started rather than like wait until it got way worse. Um, and in the area, I was upstate New York. So it was not my usual area where I lived. It was just like a vacation spot. So usually if people just don't know where to, where else to go and what other doctors to see, they just go to the emergency room or to the hospital and, you know, just get directed somewhere, or if they don't have insurance or some other thing, they just sure. don't know where else to turn. So they just go there. Sure. Sure. No. And I mean, I think that's still, that's great that the emergency departments exist for that specific reason. Um, but I, I think we're getting into this pattern in our conventional like medical system where it's it's not we just don't have the access that we need and the like the primary care physicians that we need to really help treat the underlying disease states of these chronic uh, other the underlying issues of these chronic disease states and we're not doing an effective job um like our children's lifespan is expected to be, you know, young, less than ours. Um, and so what's happening is patients aren't finding solutions and then their symptoms aren't managed. And then they are coming to the emergency department for those exacerbations. Um, and it's really hard to figure out the right solution at that time. Yeah, absolutely. I always think of everything as being connected, right. And um, there's a foundation that you have to assess and address first before you go to those exacerbations and things that are popping up on the surface. You know, there is a whole underlying network of things that are contributing to those exacerbations and acute situations. So unless it's like something sudden, like an accident, a car accident or otherwise, um, a lot of these things, you're right, they do have underlying causes that have been overlooked or not addressed in some way. So other types of help is critical so that we prevent the amount of cases that we're seeing coming in for acute care. Definitely. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. This is why Farm to Table exists. <laughs> <laughs> so did you find that you had to supplement the knowledge that you gained in pharmacy school with other modalities? Um, like how did you get into the whole functional medicine sphere? I did. I did. So, um, I decided when I, when I decided that I wanted to shift my clinical focus, you know, I went, I went down the rabbit hole of looking at like, you know, complement, complementary alternative medicine, integrative medicine, um, and decided to what I thought was best and what I truly believed in was, was the functional, was functional medicine based on, you know, the evidence-based practices and really using food as medicine, um, because those are the things I just really believe to be true, you know, in my life and practicing at large academic institutions, you obviously want to practice evidence-based medicine first. Um, and so after I decided that I wanted to pursue the functional medicine route, 
Um, I pursued the um, advanced diagnostics and personalized therapeutics. Um, it's also called the ADAPT training program through the Cresser Institute. Hmm. So I pursued the ADAPT practitioner uh, training program through, through there. Um, and then I decided that, you know, I, I wanted more, more knowledge in functional nutrition because really food is how we are going to heal the body. And, you know, in functional medicine, we don't push prescription medication, although, you know, we're not going to like Reiki or your UTI away or something, but, um, we also use a lot of supplements and I felt like, well, I would like to, instead of throwing a bunch of supplements at patients, know how to truly heal the body with food as, as the medicine rather than just supplements, because how is that really any different than throwing prescriptions at that? But it's just a supplement instead of a, you know, a synthetic prescription. So because of that thought process, um, I pursued the human nutrition and functional medicine um, master's program through the University of Western States. Um, so it's an affiliation with the Institute of Functional Medicine, and I am um, working on completing that this, this summer, actually. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. Sounds awesome. Yeah. It's been I, very enlightening. That's for sure. I love that mentality about supplements just being another substitute for a drug because this, this is also an isolated extract of something that you're just using in place of something else um, that is a little more naturally sourced perhaps, but it's still the same concept. So you're not really changing the way uh, we're administering the medicine uh, and using food or plants as medicine is much different because our bodies traditionally supposed to break down these natural constituents in the food and in the plant and utilize it in the biodynamic way. And with, for all of our metabolic and living processes, like that's just the way we evolved. So, um, you know, increasing one constituent without proportionally increasing another constituent is not always good. So, you know, these isolates when it comes to drugs or supplements is just really hard to manage because we don't see the, the full picture of how the body runs with all its feedback cycles. So it's very, it becomes very difficult to manage the downstream effects of things if we're just playing with isolates. Right, no, yeah, hundred percent. I think honestly, you know, I, I believe that there are certain maintenance supplements that potentially we should all take just because of, and this is probably a whole nother topic, but you know, with our soils being de depleted and, you know, we, this, I, I fully believe in regenerative agricultural practices and like sustainable farming, but you know, that's not really occurring in a mass production anymore. So all of, a lot of our nutrients in, in our fruits and vegetables, you know, are depleted and like magnesium and potentially, you know, if we're not getting enough sunlight, <clears throat> excuse me, sunlight, um, you know, vitamin D, but for, for the most part, I agree with you that, um, really it's the, the full spectrum of all the phytonutrients and the fiber and all of those compounds that really work together, um, to have the best, like optimal effect on our health. Yeah. So having said all that and having all the knowledge that you now possess through your various trainings, what do you think is really the problem here that is making so many people ill 
in the first place or suboptimally healthy um, so that they, they are more prone to illnesses and chronic diseases? And what is the solution that maybe we can address globally? Yeah. Oh, that's a loaded question. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> um, so, and I don't think it's very black and white, to be honest. Um, I, I believe it's, it's multifactorial in the sense that, you know, we have, we live in this society where we're constantly under stress and, and, you know, we didn't evolve to be in this fight or flight um, activated mode all the time. So we, but we are just because of our, our day to day and our competition with, you know, employers and employees and our, our daily life. Um, and so we always have that, that activated cortisol response which stress can contribute to a whole slew of different medical conditions. Um, we're isolated. Um, we don't have a sense of community where we otherwise did. And I say that, especially during this time of COVID, um, and, you know, having that strong, those relationship bonds and those communal bonds um, are such so impactful to optimal health. Um, also, our nutrition, I, I touched upon regenerative agriculture practices, you know, the majority we have, you know, confined area farming agriculture, um, or farming animals where, you know, a lot of our meats and produce is, is, or not produce, I'm sorry, like meat, um, chickens and, and beef are just coming out of these like mass produced farming practices and they're not grass fed and they're not organic and they're very inflammatory with their, you know, saturated fats. And, um, and I think truly the underlying issue and how to address all well, that would be addressing our dietary guidelines, um, which I think we have a lot of work to do with that because the dietary guidelines actually were just released in uh, December um, of this year, I believe, December of 2019 or 2020. And, um, you know, they don't take into account that, you know, more than 60% of Americans have these metabolic disease states or these like, um, these diet induced disease states, meaning hypertension, hyperlipidemia, diabetes, and, and, but they're recommending these dietary guidelines for all people. And they're really only for prevention, but the majority of Americans are already unhealthy are already metabolically unhealthy. And how can you prevent, or how can you recommend, you know, six servings of grain a day or six servings of rice and cereal and, and, um, bread and pastas, and then 10% of your calories being from sugar to a diabetic. It's, um, it's not the right way uh, to reverse chronic disease states. So I think we need to have a more of a social and political impact in helping to change the way our government addresses our dietary nutrition. Yeah. Wow, those were all great points there. And I agree, it was a loaded question. Has <laughs> a little uh, challenge for you there. Yeah. But I like to think about the grand scheme of things and the big picture because, you know, we can only do so much as individual practitioners and as individual people. And really, there's this whole system that exists outside of us that is driving these things 
to us on an individual level. And unless those things start to get dismantled and identified, you know, first we have to identify them in order to dismantle it. Um, you know, there can, I don't think there is an ability to be completely and truly healthy. And that's what we really want for our patients and for ourselves is to have that ability to just feel good in our body and feel like we have energy and, you know, not being pain all the time or not be uh, stressed all the time, like you were saying, and just enjoy our life. And without health, we can't really do that. You know, we're constantly um, adding an additional stress because now we're not healthy and we're struggling to find solutions and educate ourselves and go to different doctors and figure it all out. But um, without really addressing those underlying issues that are unfortunately, first of all, national and second of all, even global, um, we're not going to get as big of a solution as is possible. Right. No, I agree with that. And I think there's also this question of just like health inequity as well. You know, not everyone has access to social media or, you know, listening to the big players in functional medicine on, you know, Twitter or Instagram. And like, you know, we learn by being plugged in and by going to these conferences and pursuing advanced education and listening to Mark Hyman on his part podcast or Chris Kresser. And, you know, the majority of Americans or of people don't have that access. And so it's really about bringing that education um, to, to the community um, in a way that is sustainable. And I guess doesn't directly go against our national guidelines, but I think we need to, there needs to be a, a, a bigger solution there. And to be honest, it's gonna to have to be working with the government nutritional policy changes to really address it. Yeah. So remember when I said before, everything is connected, it's the way I see this whole problem of health is that the food we're eating, right, is contributing to the disease that we're having. And that, you know, a higher up level is the government, like you said. So it's, you know, the FDA that's regulating both foods and drugs, essentially, right? So there's this big pharma industry that, yes, on the one hand is developing and researching these amazing life-saving things. But on the other hand, a lot of it can be reduced and, you know, um, not, you know, we don't have to put as much money in some of these if we just focus on the other side of the scale, which is the food. So if we optimize that food, you know, delivery system, the growing system, approval process, as you were saying, you know, the guidelines, if we change that side, we won't have to focus so much on the pharmaceutical side, you know, like we need a good balance of both because the fact that one of them is failing is making the other one having to pick up the slack basically. And we're putting so much trust in that as a solution when we could also put more of an effort into the problem and then have way more results, in my opinion, if we just address that underlying problem first before we try to patch things up, right? So, uh, you know, the ship is like sinking and we're just trying to patch up some holes here and there. And that's just not optimal, unfortunately, because the whole ship is just going to go down anyway. 
um, you know, despite our best efforts and brightest minds, unless we figure out like what is causing this and take the water out from the ship and things like that. So for me, it's like, okay, what, why is the FDA putting these guidelines, you know, like who are the big players that um, benefit from such guidelines? Like, you know, what industries are um, having deals with the government and with pharma? So it's like, all of that is great for earning money for those industry, but not great for our health, you know? So it's not enough, even if the guidelines are good, it's not enough to say, have a grain, you know? Where is that grain coming from? You know, how is it processed? And if, if you are recommending meat, where's the meat coming from? Where's the produce coming from? So it's not enough to say just blankly what types of food to eat. We have to investigate further into how this food was produced. You know, was the animal a happy animal before it wasn't? You know, it, it's all important to address those things rather than just um, have everything be equal. You know, is a French fry potato? <laughs> right. You know, we have to uh, really focus, like you said, I think on the educational piece so that everybody's on the same page. And then also having that access to not only the education, but also the prices of the food. So if somebody needs to have more fruits and veggies, but they're all like 10 times more expensive than a burger at McDonald's that probably has a thousand different cows in it from the you know, industrial processing of the cows and one cow may be sick. Uh, you know, it's, it's a problem that we don't have this access to the information and access to buying the food, not even talking about buying the expensive testing of functional medicine and the supplements. No, hundred um, percent. I have a story. I was working in a, a clinic that we were seeing um, an like indigent patient population. So those patients that, you know, weren't plugged into the system, they didn't have access to health to health care there had very low health literacy and so the <clears throat> goal of this clinic was to you know help help them get get access you know help them qualify for medicare or medicaid if they did um, there it was multidisciplinary it was beautiful it was um, social work was there case managers we had therapists we had our mds our pas we had pharmacy um, and our nurses. And so we, we worked to get these patients on the prescription medications they needed as a temporizing agent to keep them out of the hospital. And these patients had to meet, I believe, two chronic disease states. So <clears throat> we had this patient who early thirties just got discharged from the hospital. And he even had like a stint in the ICU. He had, um, new onset heart failure, which was probably just like undiagnosed heart failure. This was first time seeing a doctor. Um, and it was very progressed. Um, he also had diabetes, hypertension, hyperlipidemia, you know, and he was maxed out on all of his pharmaceutical agents. He was on every, every one per guidelines that he should be on <clears throat> and the max doses of every guy of every, of every pharmaceutical agent. And he was coming in and, you know, his blood pressure was still not at goal. His A1C wasn't at goal. Um, you know, his lipid panels were all out of whack. And the team, you know, kept consulting pharmacy. Like, what, what do we do here? I decided to just have an hour long appointment with him to talk about nutrition. Because, you know, it, what does it say in every single guideline? Lifestyle modification. Right. Number one, right? Number one. So let's. Let's do that. 
Um, and maybe let's not focus on the food pyramid. Let's not focus on the my plate. I, that's the new, you know, the new right. recommendations, the my plate. Because again, like we talked about, those are all for prevention. Well, this gentleman who had metabolic disease, who was in his early 30s, and you know, recommend, recommending dairy and grains and sugar to this gentleman was not going to be the solution. So I sat down and we had, we made small incremental changes. So, you know, again, going back to education, he thought that by drinking pineapple juice and orange juice every day was the right thing to do because he was getting his fruits, right? He thought using, um, forcing himself to drink milk, even though he had symptoms of lactose intolerance was the right thing to do because dairy, you know, two to three, yeah, two to three servings of dairy a day, right? He was trying, he was really trying. Um, and then, you know, he loved to cook, which is great because he's cooking at home and he's not buying processed foods and he's not ordering out. So he just made incremental changes instead of your canola oil and your vegetable oil, let's use avocado oil or let's use some olive oil. Let's throw out all your refined cane sugar and let's do like monk fruit sweetener or like coconut sugar if you need to do something, you know? So we had these changes and unfortunately I had left the clinic and I didn't really get to see the results, but it was like, it was a very bonding moment. You know, he felt empowered and I felt like I, I had a breakthrough and he was excited to implement these changes. Well, fast forward a couple months and I received this message from the PA who was still seeing this patient. And she just wanted to drop me a message explaining that he had made such progress. He was off a couple of his medications. He was dose reduced on the majority of the, his medications. He had lost a significant amount of weight, but like the most important thing is he felt empowered to change his health and to, to change the trajectory of, of, of his health. And because I sat down with him and just educated him on these simple changes that aren't common, you know, they're not in, intuitive if you're just, if you're not just, if you're in the general public and you're not into healthcare and you're not in healthcare with a focus in functional medicine or nutrition. Um, and so those, that's just an example of how these small incremental changes can truly have such an impact on chronic disease states and on just like a human's like mentality to like feel empowered and feel like they have the control of their health, which all comes down to the education piece. Absolutely. Oh my God. That story makes me want to nitpick a couple of pieces. So yeah, first of all, when you said these simple changes, but then you went on to explain that it's actually not so simple to the general public, you know, and my, my goal, my desire for people is that it does become intuitive for people to know what is good for them and what is not good for them, you know, and it's a shame that it's not so simple to the general public, unless you're in this field, um, and then just continuing to educate yourself over and over again. Uh, you know, it's become so complex to feel empowered and to, even if you are cooking for yourself and you are reading the guidelines, it still becomes very confusing and people, like you said, get put on medications and still are not seeing good results. So that's really a problem. And, you know, it's good that we have people like us that are studying and helping people and spending time educating and empowering because that is, you know, that is key. And why are we not focusing more on that number one step of lifestyle and diet, you know, so 
So that's great that you did that. I'm so happy he got results uh, and that he, you know, followed up through you, uh, through the PA and the information trickled down to you. So that's really amazing. And, you know, I think changing people's lives one, one life at a time is so rewarding. Um, and I just want to have that on a grander scale of people just all growing up with this knowledge, you know, like this almost like a survival knowledge, like what is growing around them? You know, what does food look like when it grows? And, uh, you know, all these things that are so simple, but then when we are living in cities and never see green and uh, just always go to the store to shop, it's just like, we're so far removed from, from nature and the way things are that it just becomes so difficult to see that big picture that I always talk about. Uh, and then I also wanted to go back to how you were saying, um, you know, you were one of the non-pill pushing pharmacists back in school. And I think that that's such a misconception too. like, what is pharmacy doing? And it is a conflict of interest as well, like, especially in retail pharmacy, where you are getting paid and reimbursed by the amount of prescriptions that you're dispensing. But the whole goal is to have the patient be healthy without having the crutch of a medication, right? Like we want people to get off of meds. We want them to be healthy without needing a pill. And it's just, it just seems like our profession has become boxed into this, like, oh, you know, we only make money by pushing the pills and like the pharmaceutical reps and things like that are also always uh, pushing the pills. But really, the goal is just to have these as a last resort and to have the person be healthy without these things, right? And so how do you see that whole thing play in as, as a pharmacist? Well, I feel like we are essentially like the gatekeepers to between the different like medical disciplines. And so, you know, even in retail and clinical, we're seeing these prescriptions being written, but then you know, from, from one discipline. So cardiology is writing one prescription. Indo is writing one, endocrinology is writing one prescription. And then you have, you know, infectious, infectious disease or thoracic and all of these medications then interact with, with some other medication and, and then affect another body system. And so essentially you're right. You know, we are not the pill pushers. We're like the gatekeepers of, of all of it. Um, but we do, I, I see your point can get a bad rap for, for, for being that because of the goals, honestly, of big, big pharma and of our, you know, the large retail pharmacies, that's, that's how we make a profit. Um, and so honestly, I don't know of a great solution to not make a profit in that industry, unless we're looking at maybe like insurance reimbursements and getting reimbursed based on the, the number of um, like the reduction in hospital admissions, which is definitely obviously a thing with core measures. Um, and potentially, you know, if we have uh, insurance reimbursement for getting patients off of their diabetic medication and preventing, you know, reducing their insulin requirements. So we have to have an, it incentivized in a different way than being incentivized to have patients be addicted to medication, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. It's not only the opioid crisis, it's like a crisis of all meds at this point. So uh, I agree with you. Yeah. That's, 
there has to be money somewhere involved in some kind of incentivizing fashion. Uh, so if we show the insurances that we're actually reducing, like you said, the cost of admission to a hospital or some other health outcomes that is saving them money because the patient now doesn't need that many medications, that would be great. And if visits like to a consult with functional nutrition or just, you know, a pharmacist or anybody else that is more on the preventative side or even acupuncture, chiropractor, if more things like that were reimbursed, then rather than only reimbursing medications, you know, there could be a real difference in the results that we're seeing and the goals that we're having for the patients and, you know, where the money really goes towards. Right. That's, yeah. <laughs> those are goals. <laughs> That's the goal. Somebody should get on that. <laughs> the policy making, changing reimbursement rates. Uh, you know, now they're having the star ratings uh, system for pharmacies. So I really, you know, hope that their vision over there is to focus on the results and uh, getting people to reduce their medication load and burden rather than, um, you know, changing just the formulary of what medication will be covered this year. So that is the goal. So let's go back to your story about how you transitioned into functional medicine and now you're fin finishing up your program. So how did you get uh, as part of the farm to table team? How was uh, that journey and what else are you doing now? And like, what is your vision for the future of your practice? Sure. So, so right. So currently, um, I am the founder of Functional Pharma, which is an online platform where I um, see patients in a functional medicine capacity. And then I'm also um, a consultant for Farm to Table, uh, which is our business that we're both in. Um, and I got, um, I am friends with our founder and CEO, Melody Hartzler. We actually um, went to Ohio Northern University together to where we um, obtained our pharmacy degree. Um, and, you know, we had, we, we weren't friends during that time, but then, um, you know, it's such a small world. I moved to Chicago from the Bay and this was about a year and a half ago. And I came across this um, uh, pharmacy symposium that was also looking at functional medicine and nutrition and it was in Indiana. And so I was in Chicago at the time and it was just a quick drive there. And that's kind of how I, um, how I developed uh, friendships with Dr. Hartzler and then um, Dr. Lauren Castle, who is the founder and CEO of the Functional Medicine Pharmacist Alliance. And she also attended Ohio Northern University. And so I felt so um, just like, energized and empowered that, wow, there are other pharmacists like in this capacity and that are really pursuing their, their dharma or their life's purpose in trying to in, include functional and pharmacists into functional medicine and have it really be a multidisciplinary approach. So, so it was in those ways, um, I connected with them and um, became a member of Farm to Table. So, so I'm currently, um, like I previously mentioned, I'm working half of my time in the emergency department, um, still helping with acute care. And, you know, emergency medicine was my first love. And um, 
And it's very rewarding to help those patients who truly need those life-saving interventions. And then the other part of my time, um, I am working in a functional medicine capacity, working as um, working with farm to table and seeing patients um, working more for you know underlying disease states or root causes that are precipitating um, underlying chronic disease states. And um, I address, you know, we look at functional medicine in itself looks at, you know, nutrition and, um, hydration, stress, you know, community bonds. Um, we look at, you know, sleep optimization. And then in addition some of my clinical focuses are digestion and gut health, um, like stress hormones and sex hormone imbalances, thyroid, um, and medication nutrient deficiencies. So, um, yeah, it's really, really rewarding. Yeah, awesome. I also interviewed Dr. Hertzler and Dr. Castle on the show. So I'll link to that as well. And I'll link to our farm to table team website. So you can check us all out and which states that we all are practicing in if you're interested. Um, so I also want to go back to how you mentioned the stress piece and then the lack of community or isolation. Um, do you have any advice on how people can address those, especially during this time where we almost have to be isolated? Yeah, so um, I do. I mean, I think there is, we're really fortunate in that people have decided to jump on like the Zoom bandwagon and we're able to connect in that capacity. Um, I know that there is a lot of, you know, yoga studios or any just exercise studios that are offering online classes, um, even like, um, you know, meditation as well. Um, I think in one other capacity, and this is what we're offering at Farm to Table is, um, and I believe our, it's a membership-based platform where that will be going live, I believe in a month or so, but we're offering um, group visits. So I think that's a great forum for patients who, you know, are going through the same chronic health conditions. And so they can feel this strong sense of community and a, a strong sense of support system. So they know that they're not going through this alone and they have other people to talk to or, you know, just run ideas off of. Um, and I think that's especially important during, during this time. So definitely group visits um, and utilizing your technology to, to connect. Um, and then also just working, I think, internally with yourself. Um, I, I practice a form of meditation um, that, you know, we can't completely remove ourselves from this hectic world that we're in. This, like, <laughs> we're toxic ridden and we have, you know, environmental pollutants everywhere and we do have stress and it's, it, unfortunately, it is the way it is at this time, um, but you can do stuff to help support your internal well-being and your internal mental well-being. Um, and so just trying to focus on those stress reduction techniques that align with, with yourself. So for me personally, I practice Vipassana meditation um, every day, hopefully every day. <laughs> um, and it's, you know, really helped me align my, um, align my my goals with what I, it's, it's more of a mind body connection and, um, helps reduce the stress and the, um, anxiety associated with during this COVID time as well. Yeah. Wow. Really great advice. Thank you. 
Um, I love the idea of doing like mind body connection pieces, like you were mentioning yoga and exercise, it kind of gets you to remove yourself from like the thoughts maybe that you're having that are maybe driving you crazy. Mm -hmm. Uh, So either if you could do that just by sitting still and meditating or having a, you know, a moving meditation of some sort or a guided meditation, or if you could just kind of move back into your body and use your body in certain ways and to let off some steam, um, get the endorphins flowing and um, maybe even connect it with the mind with practices like yoga. So I love those, all of those tools as well. Uh, I also wanted to ask you, what is that driving force behind your mission and behind your work and, you know, why you're really doing this and continuing to educate yourself and pursue all those modalities? Like, is there a personal story of why this is so close to your heart? Um, I mean, I have my own personal like health journey with functional medicine, but I really think just for me, I've always just wanted to educate and help those that maybe didn't have the uh, opportunities afforded to them that, that I did. Um, and so I just really am drawn to giving back and, um, and motivated to help empower other people truly take control of their own life. Because I think the most anxiety provoking and just like, I guess, disheartening feeling is not having control of your life. And by empowering people with, with education and tools that everyone can have access to. So like in functional medicine, we do all of these personalized advanced testing and, and, and I think that's great for that subset of, of, of the population that can afford it. Um, but you know, there's all those other techniques that we do when we just talk about nutrition and hydration and stress and community and sleep and which truly is the foundation for health um, that everyone can have access to. And so knowing, seeing it in my day-to-day life, like working at the clinic and working in the hospitals and seeing patients who truly want to live their best lives, but they just need to be educated as to how to do so, that is what motivates me. And that that's really my passion um, and can, helps me continue to do what I do and move forward. Yeah, I love that. And I totally agree. I got the same kind of training in my coaching, which was from Institute for Integrative Nutrition. Mm -hmm. So all those things that you mentioned are really, you know, the primary foods, and then only the actual food that we're eating is only like a secondary solution. So it's like all those other areas, if they're not addressed, you know, the food can only go so far as to helping you heal. But Um, having all those other areas of your life. And again, seeing at that big picture and really having a strong foundation for mental and physical health is, um, is key, you know, to having a balanced and happy life. So we're all helping each other and all learning together. And like you said, like, it's so nice to be part of a team. And even if you're bonding over a similar problem, uh, you know, or for us at Farm to Table, we're all pharmacists that are non-traditional and that are trained in functional medicine and are wanting um, to work towards a similar goal and vision. So that's bonding, whether you're bonding over a problem or a, a similar vision, um, that's so nice to be part of a community that understands you and that you can relate to. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, having that support system is just, it's just so key. Yeah. So if you just have a few more minutes, I have some rapid fire round questions for us. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. So what's your number one advice for people that want to change their life right now? I want to change their life right now. I guess I would say focus internally. I think so many people get caught up with these external factors and um, it's just such a hurdle to change everyone else. And I think if you want to change your life and be the best version of yourself, you have to look internally and focus on developing that equanimity or that balance of, of your mind to truly free yourself from suffering and um, help promote that just to change, help promote um, a, a better mentality to help change your life. I love that. That sounded almost like a Buddha uh, teaching when you were saying it, but yeah, I totally agree. And for anybody out there that's listening, that really wants to take this to the next level, I have an, a great book recommendation that I'm reading right now, the laws of human nature. Uh, so that is such a great tool and uh, analyzing yourself and others, but really with a focus on changing yourself and mm -hmm using those tools and other tools that I've learned in the past, you know, really makes a difference for your mental well-being. And that's really the foundation again. It's like you can't have a healthy body without a healthy mind and vice versa. But, you know, you really have to have like that willpower first and foremost and that strength in order to make those changes. So focusing on, on the things that you can control, like you were mentioning, and feeling like you have choices that is super, super important. Right. And to have that mental strength that when those things come into your life that you can't control, like staying on that tightrope and, and allowing and just keeping on your mission and prevent, um, help preventing, you know, those external factors from sway, swaying you in one way or the other. So just to, to stay with your mission and to stay cognitively just sound. Love it. All right. Question number two, what is your favorite hobby or pastime? Um, my favorite pastime is being in the kitchen. <laughs> I will probably pursue something down the road in um, like nutritional cul like culinary school. I um, absolutely love being in the kitchen, but like choosing to, I, I tend to bake more than cook, but um, using like healthy ingredient alternatives um, to develop recipes that are, you know, good for you and taste good. Um, and you don't feel like you're, you're having to sacrifice, you know, all the good stuff. So I just, whenever I'm not working, I'm, I'm usually in the kitchen making some recipes. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Your family must love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My husband is actually a really good cook. <laughs> so I, I, normally stick to it, the baking and then he does the cooking. <laughs> nice. Good teamwork. Yeah. All right. Last, uh, rapid round question. How, um, how do you, or what do you like to drink? What's your favorite beverage? Water. <laughs> it's not that interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I will do like a Jasmine green tea. Um, definitely green tea for 
all of the health benefits. Um, but you know, I, I try to limit my caffeine to just one or two in the morning. Um, and then, I mean, yeah, I, I love, I love water with some lemon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Lemon's great. I've been using lemon a lot in my cooking and it's like amazing. It's like, I just feel like my digestive enzymes are multiplying. <laughs> yeah. Lemon and fresh herbs. Like I, I, we got into fresh herbs a while back and I just can't even go back to the dry stuff anymore. And it's just so good for you too. It gives, gives everything such that aromatic quality and um, really helps elevate the dish. Yeah. I love it. Okay. So last, last question for the interview is where can people reach you and find out more about your work and connect with you? Sure. So you can find me on um, farm to tables website, I am a licensed practitioner in three states. So I'm currently um, practicing in Illinois, Texas, and California. Um, and so I'm listed under those states on Farm to Tables uh, website. And then I also have my own website called functionalpharma.com. Um, and I have an Instagram page where you can find me at Dr. Christine Reynolds, as well as a similar, same name, uh, Facebook page as well. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm out there in social media if you'd like to connect. Awesome. Well, I'll have all those links to connect with you in the show notes. And I want to thank you for coming on today and sharing your story and your passion with us, your mission, your vision, everything. Uh, I had a great morning with you. So thank you again. Well, thank you. I had a really great time. All right. Well, have a great rest of your day and I will see you soon. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Holistic Pharmacy Podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed the show and learned something new. I certainly get super inspired and motivated by my guests and I hope the same is true for you. If so, I would really appreciate an honest and sweet review on any of the podcast platforms. Thank you, and I hope you have a great week ahead.